Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. I'll be reading this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure thoughts. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Thanks be to God. So the, uh, this morning, I have the, the privilege of, of kind of wrapping up our series in discipleship. And uh, this is the end, but it's the beginning. And what I appreciate about um, what we've been focusing on these, la- these last few months is the importance of recognizing Jesus calls us to follow him. And we get a chance to do that as a community. And I love that. A few weeks ago, uh, I had the privilege of uh, sitting down uh, with the mayor of Lansdale. And one of the things that I've appreciated about Renew is our posture. Uh, We want to be a church that's for the community. We want to be a church that's an advocate and an ally to the community. And so it was really exciting to have an opportunity to sit down. He's he's a very young gentleman who just started a year and so, so ago, but I just really was looking forward to having this meeting. Now take a step back. Um, about a week and a half before uh, our, our, I emailed him, there was this big to-do at the library. Uh, and I'm just going to ask that we suspend our judgment for a moment on whichever side we want to be thinking through. Um, But what happened was there was a a drag queen that was going to come and read stories to children. And there, uh, and of course that's a pretty, that can be a pretty uh, volatile situation. And so as that was going on, the mayor was in the kind of getting emails every day and and he was in the process of this. And there was kind of these two camps that came out and the one camp was we're going to protest. And the other camp was we're going to send and be present in this and go. And it was just this really interesting time. And so when I, when I emailed him and I sat down over at the stove and tap, he, he's looked at me and said, so you're here to talk about that, aren't you? I was like, talk about what? He's like, you know, the library thing. I was like, actually, I just wanted to get to know you as a person and to kind of hear your story, how you got into politics, like what, what's going on, and, and, and also to hear your heart for Lansdale. And it was incredible because we sat for a while and uh, he's like, oh, okay, totally caught him off guard. And we talked for a bit. And, and then, you know, the whole thing came up and I said, so how are you doing with that? Like as a person, when you're in a position of leadership and you make a decision that people don't like, or some people do support and some people don't. And I said, how are you, how are you handling that, Gary? And he said, well, he said, I haven't slept real well in the last few weeks. He said, I got a lot of angry emails. And he said, for me, uh, the biggest thing was uh, the day of the event, I 
you know, I was there with the police chief and, and I walked over and there was a sign, this big sign, and it said, Gary Herbert will burn in hell. And he said, I saw that. And he said, first of all, I was kind of proud of myself because I feel like I've, politically I've arrived. And he kind of laughed that off. And, and then secondly, he said, um, but I recognize like how much weight that's actually carried on, my, like, on me over the last few weeks. And so in the midst of that, um, as I listened more, as I talked, I recognized the wound that was present. And, and again, I appreciate the fact that this can be a really difficult conversation to have, but we're not going to talk about that. But what I want to talk about is our posture, because if, if discipleship, if, if part of being a disciple is being a missionary, like Jesus doesn't just say, Hey, come enroll in my school and stay here till you die. He says, come follow me and I'm going to send you out that there's this whole posture piece that we need to begin to think through. And Gary asked me two really interesting questions. He said, um, I, it made me think about this. Uh, where, where, would, where would Jesus be in a situation like that? And what I appreciate is that it's okay for us to have opinions on that entire situation. And, and like, there are good opinions that we can have and good thoughts, but we have to make sure how do we love people well in the midst of this? And there are two stories. One story is a gentleman in our church um, sort of there's a lot of collateral damage that happens whenever there's something that takes place in a small town. And uh, a gentleman in our church ended up reaching out to the librarian who, who has just been tormented over this entire thing and listened and cared and loved and just did such a fine job of caring for loving and, and being present in a situation where someone is deeply wounded and also sharing their thoughts on it, their faith, like what they sense God would be wanting in this situation, which I just appreciate. And then the other one was, um, there is a, there's a church, they meet at Christopher Dock right now. They're called Lanzell Life Church. And there's a guy, their pastor, their, their lead pastor is a guy named Chris Bonner. And I ran into him uh, out in Harrisburg. It was really weird. And we talked about it for a minute. And he has been in the process of trying to contact the guys with the signs because he wants to tell them about Jesus. And I've just appreciated so much the way that, that I've seen the faith community kind of rise up because when these things happen, you know, I think the fear for Christians is, and people who call themselves followers of Jesus is we get kind of stuck in this camp of like, oh, well, you must be angry, hateful, crazy people. When in reality, it's like, we're, we're not. But it was just this beautiful space to see that in the midst of all of this, of, of the potential polarization of what's been happening, I'm watching the church take this beautiful posture saying, how do we care for people in this? How do we care for people? Because the truth is, is that this is, un it's an uncomfortable space for Christians. And some of us in the room are like, hey, what's wrong with that? And others of us are like, man, that is like, there's no way this should be allowed in a public space. And so we have that tension within the room and we need to call it for what it is. And it's, it's okay to be in that space. But I think Jesus is interested in something a little bit more. So it brought up a question in my mind, and I just want us to, to be completely honest with ourselves here. And the question is this, um, who, who would we be uncomfortable with if they showed up at church today? Like, just think about that for a moment. We don't have to answer, like, if you want to jot that down. Like, who's someone that you would be uncomfortable with if they showed up in church today? That kind of leads us to the next question. Who would be uncomfortable, who would we be uncomfortable with if God redeemed? 
Now, my sense is if our list is long as a church, we have a lot of confession. Because Jesus seems to be in the business and the practice of being a doctor for the sick, not one for the healthy. Jesus seems to really uh, tick off people who have long lists of who's in or who's out. When we read through the Gospels, when we read through Acts, one of the main things that we are confronted with often is how Jesus is continually being yelled at by the religious people because he's hanging out with the wrong folks. And so I, I have a sense, even as I'm talking about some of these things, some of you guys are already like ticked off and like checked out and that's okay. But I just want to ask you to lean in a bit because I sense when, when we find ourselves angry or frustrated, I think that's the whole, that has the potential of the Holy Spirit cultivating something new within our souls. And so as we're wrapping up this, I'm convinced of one thing. Signs don't work. Um, I'm just, I'm convinced that signs don't work, at least when it comes to signs like this. Stop signs work really well. Um, but as we wrap up, I want us to, I want to remind us what the definition of discipleship is as we've been talking about it as a community. It's this, it's the process whereby we are formed more and more into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so let me just kind of pick this out, pick it apart just for a few minutes. It's a process, right? It's not a, it's not a certificate. This is a lifelong journey. Following Jesus is not something that happens right, right now. And, and by the end of next week, you're done and you've finished and you're ready to go. But it's a lifelong process. And what does process mean? Does it mean just a straight line? No, it means ups and downs. There are days when we are so close to Mother Teresa status and other days when we are like the worst of the worst. Can I get an amen? There we go. That's good. We're being honest. Whereby we, a few weeks ago, Ben talked so brilliantly about the importance of community because discipleship doesn't happen on our own. It's not just you follow Jesus. It's we follow Jesus together. So the way that that happens is we spend time interacting with one another around the person of Christ. And we recognize that this is not a solo event, but this is a team relay. As one wins, we all win. As one loses, we all lose. And so this idea of forming community around the person of Christ, we has to be a part of this. That's why we do house church. That's why we have the events that guys aren't invited to, because we long for these spaces where people can hang out together and talk about Christ and be formed. And not just, and what I love about that is it, it, it's bigger than just studying scripture, but it's studying scripture and having others speak into that. It's having a meal together, looking face to face with one another, asking real hard, important questions. But that is an important part of our formation. That's part of the process. Formed more and more into the image of Christ. We are not just formed to be good people. That is not the goal of discipleship, being formed into the image of Christ. And so let me start with this. Discipleship begins in the really good news. And Ben talked about forgiveness as we started, because this is the truth. We are, this is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who recognized that God loves them and showed his love to them or showed his love to us by sending his son Jesus to rescue us, to redeem us, to set us free from sin and death. What gospel life, what life with Christ looks like is a life where we watch our shame fall away. We watch our guilt fall away. We see God show up in this cracks and spaces of our life and just heal things. Because the good news is that God loved us so much that he didn't just stand up in heaven and send down some like medical supplies, but he came to us. He put on flesh and bone 
And he moved into the neighborhood. He had a zip code and a mailing address because, he, because we are his prized possession. Because the creation that he made, the people that he made, all of us have been made in the image of God. Every person that was made has been made in the image of God. And this is the gospel news. This is the good news. And so this idea of a holistic, congruent life with God is what discipleship is about. It's not just about having the spiritual idea here and then living like hell on this direction, but it's recognizing that it all connects. That Jesus is just as interested in my sexuality as he is in my spirituality. He's just as interested in the, my, the thoughts of my mind as he is in the physical places where I live and the things that I do. Because it's holistic. Because the good news doesn't just give us, an, it's not just a good idea, it's good news. And it is holistic, my friends. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, he guy that has spoke at a couple of things around the network of church plants that we belong to. I love this definition of the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. He said, the gospel is this, Jesus, God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. That is such a beautiful picture of what the gospel is and what the gospel looks like. And some of us here today are like in that space of trying to recognize, like, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested. And I just want to encourage you and invite you dive in. Like Jesus is real. He's good. He cares for us. And he is worthy of putting our trust in. The last piece of this definition of discipleship is for the sake of others. Because right off the bat, the idea of, in the idea of discipleship, mission is baked into it. Uh, Jesus does not just solve all of our problems so we can all float on, but he does this so that we can join with him. Because God's mission is to bless the world. When we, when we come in contact with the scriptures in Genesis and we see the story of Abraham, one of the very early promises that we find is God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the entire world. Like God's redemption story is kicked off way before we come to Jesus. And Jesus is the culmination of this redemption story. And the world, that sounds really big, right? Like I want to bless you so that you bless the world. And it sounds really big. And sometimes I think we think it's too big. But at the same time, my fear is if we let that vision become too small, we're going to miss it all together. And so for the sake of others that we are saved, we are called Christ's sons and daughters and brothers and sisters for the sake of something much greater than just the community that gathers here. But we get to join with God in the renewal of all things. And this is not what we have to do. This is what we get to do. This is not what we are operating for. It's what we're operating from. We come out of this. We live life out of this. And so... We need to be people that constantly are asking Jesus for new eyes to see the image of God in the people of the, the, in our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. And we also need to be people that are boldly speaking into this idea where we long to see that image fully restored in Christ. And so I want to dive into what we read because I think this passage is brilliant. Uh, when we come to, if you have your Bible, open up to six, to Mark six, but this is really fascinating to me. So it, a lot of us have read through the gospel of Mark, and it's interesting because Jesus sends out the 12 
not at the very end of the book, but right in kind of the middle. And so if we kind of track with Mark up to this point in time, if we sort of follow the disciples, the disciples has essentially seen this of Jesus. He heals people. He does awesome things. He walks on water. He gets into trouble with the religious folks, but everything seems to be pretty good. And then right before this story happens, and this is fascinating to me, right before the story takes place, Jesus goes back to his home. And it says he's rejected by his own people. And then he sends out his 12 disciples. It's almost like they've seen all this amazing stuff. And then there's this, this kind of, this, this picture of doubt that sort of cast, wait a minute, if his mom and dad and the people that know him well, you know, or mom and cousins and uncles, if they don't really support this guy, are we, are we making the right, the right decision? But in all this, Jesus has been showing these disciples what it is to live a life of authority, what it is, what what this looks like. And they've watched Jesus well. And that's our call, that we are called to watch Jesus. That's why we want to root ourselves in the scriptures, because that's how we find out what Jesus is up to. And in these beautiful stories, we see Jesus healing the sick. We see him touching people who communities would consider untouchable. We see him entering into uh, places where people are just cast out and just restoring, redeeming, rescuing. So in this, in this passage, it's interesting to me because they're challenged not to take anything. Can you, has anyone ever like literally missed the trip because you spent so much time planning for the trip? Anyone? Or like you're one of those, any overpackers where when you're getting ready to go somewhere, you're like, oh man, I'm going to be gone for four days. (laughs) I need like seven suitcases. I need, there was a girl back in youth group days. Her name was Nicole. And when we would go on a, on a, a one night retreat, she'd have four bags with her. I mean, it was insane. Like hair dry, blow dryers and curling, all kinds of necessities that did not make sense. Anyone else like that? You over plan. And so what I appreciate about this is the disciples are kind of in this space. And Jesus says, hey, just take what you have and go. And the problem is, is a lot of us, we think like, well, I need a seminary degree or I need to know more about this, or I need to have a deeper understanding of this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus, as he calls out these men to go tell the story, he just says, don't pack an extra pair of sandals. Don't take any money. You're just going to get locked down and all this stuff. Just go, just go. I like the idea of the staff. I'm, I'm a big walking stick guy. Like whenever I, except for in the neighborhood, because I think people think I'm weird if I walk around with a walking stick in the neighborhood. Um, but there's something about a staff. And I was thinking about this. Um, and I, I was having, I've been having some conversations with some of the folks in the community about this teaching. And, and what's, what strikes me is he says, take a staff, not a sword. He doesn't say, he doesn't say don't take a sword, but it's like, he says, take a staff. Like, Take, take a tool that helps you walk. Take a tool that, you know, if you think about a staff in a shepherding term, like, yeah, you can beat up animals that are hurting, but it also is like a way to shepherd people. It's a shepherd's tool. Like, take a staff, not a sword. And I appreciate the way that that, that, that kind of puts these disciples in this space to say, you just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. And then uh, how many of you got, there's this really interesting part where it says, um, when you enter house, stay, if, if, if they refuse to hear you, shake the dust off that's on your feet. How many of you have heard that, that, that expression? Like just shake the dust off and go. A lot of us, when we think about that, we, so this is, this is maybe this, maybe this is my confession. 
Like the way I thought about that passage for many years was if you don't listen, fine. Good luck with life. But what I'm learning is that in this, this is actually more for the disciples than it is for, than it is, is more for the disciples' own hearts than it is for the people. Because he's, they're shaking the dust off saying, you know what, this hasn't been the best experience. And although they've yelled at me and screamed at me and they've hated it and they've just not been happy, I can't hold this offense against, my, against me. I need to let this offense go. So some of us here, as we're thinking about what it means to do you know, mission as discipleship, what it means to, to, to be people that are sent out into community, we are harboring offenses towards people. And we need to shake that dust off because that dust is going to get real nasty on your feet and it's going to slow us down. But just that picture of, of as we go, we're going to come against opposition. We're going against people that just politely disagree or people that angrily disagree. But it's not about winning arguments. It's about letting people know the beautiful love of Jesus, that there is this whole extra space of life for us to be living into. Uh, Lindsay said something that I thought was really, really powerful. She said, I love the clarity that discipleship is about God changing us, not us changing people. I think we get caught up in that, that idea of I need to know more, be better, et cetera, et cetera, before discipling someone. But really, I just need to be devoted to being discipled and that qualifies me for mission. I think that is a freedom statement because I think a lot of us, myself included, feel like I need to attain this level where I can then become Master Yoda and train my next series of Jedis. That's not the way this thing works. Now, that doesn't mean that we just pretend like we don't need to learn anything or we don't need to know anything, but it does mean that we have to recognize that maybe we're getting in our own way. So what are some of the obstacles that we are seeing that we may need to overcome as a community. And, and this, this might just be for me, but I, I sense it might be for others. Uh, proximity does not equal permission. Uh, when I was in junior high, Coach Domino um, yelled at me one time and said, if you sleep with dogs, you're gonna get fleas. And I think that probably saved me as a middle schooler um, because I didn't really know what he was saying, but he was basically saying, you need to watch who you're hanging out with, watch your friends. But what I appreciate about what Jesus does is Jesus doesn't live into that idea. In fact, he got in trouble all the time for hanging out with the wrong people. Just read the chapters before and the chapters after, and you just, you just, you'll see Jesus getting in trouble all the time with these people uh, who didn't necessarily make the dean's list. Uh, he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, um, but he, in the midst of that, was building this beautiful community of compassion. And the law looks at the exterior appearances, but grace looks at the interior realities. And I think it's easy to make it look like we are following the law, these exterior appearances, but Jesus busted up the law to say, I care about the inside of your life. And that's one of those things that I think we need to, we tend to forget at times is like Jesus isn't concerned all that he isn't concerned with the exterior stuff. Now he is, but he's not, but it's like this, whenever we're sick, we treat symptoms, right? Like, Oh, I have a, I have a nasty cough. So I take cough drop. I, I, I mean, when I have a cold coming on, I am like Mr. Zinc man. Like you could tap my blood and I'm sure like zinc would just flow out of this thing. But I, I just have this idea like, well, if I'm sick, I need to start treating this thing. I need to do this. But what I appreciate about it as I read the gospels, 
is Jesus just isn't looking at the exterior spaces, but he's like pointing at people's hearts. Like he's getting to the root of these anxieties, of these fears, of the, of the shame, of this guilt, of these different places within people's lives. Because Jesus is legitimately concerned with our interior space because it's out of the interior of our life that things begin to blossom. You ever eat good fruit from a bad tree? No, I mean, it just doesn't taste right. You have a disease sick tree, there's all this webs and stuff on it. You pick an apple off it, I'm not eating it. Something's not good. And so Jesus looks past the exterior and he deals, he restores dignity, he demolishes shame and he casts out guilt. I think the other question, and this, this might feel like a burn to, to many of us who, who may have been followers of Jesus for a long time, but who is a not yet follower of Jesus that you would say you know really well? Like you know them, you know them well, you know their heart, you know what things are happening. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of twist the knife a bit and say, if you don't, you need to find one. And I'm not saying that as a, as a statement of judgment. I'm saying that for myself too. There's something beautiful about being invested in people's lives, having relationship and recognizing that Jesus shows up in those very thin spaces. Another obstacle that we have is doing the work of the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, discipleship is not about God changing us. Again, like it's about God changing us, not us changing people. Uh, it is a journey. And sometimes I've been around folks that, uh, that have this, this space of when you show up in, uh, you know, in whatever circumstance and you, you're good friends with this person. This happened to me. I was a real young Christian uh, and my, my best friend, Dale, poor guy, uh, he just got the brunt end of my young Christianness. And so Dale and I were sitting uh, on the playground somewhere and um, I was like 19 years old and I, I just knew, I'm like, this is the day I got to tell him. Like he is in trouble. Things are not going well. Like it's not going to work out. He needs Jesus. And so I sit down and I just like unload. I'm like, dude, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. And I remember looking, he's like, well, there's some expletives. So I'm not gonna use those words, but he's like, what are you talking about? And like, what is wrong with you? And it like damaged our relationship. And I think some of that is because I sensed I needed to do the work of the Holy Spirit to make him make this decision instead of just kind of taking the long haul. Now, praise God, he's redeemed that. Now we can sit and laugh about it. Like he's come to know Jesus over the years. And that's, that's really, really exciting. But I kind of got in the way of that. But at the same time, we also need to be people who are willing to begin to have conversations about Jesus and not be afraid because that's a big part of our life. Another obstacle that I see within the church is our skepticism and our cynicism. And those two things are sucking our joy. Uh, we don't want to be associated with those Christians. They're like the weird uncle that shows up, you know, at the, at the Christmas party already hammered and we're just worried about what he's going to say and do. But I think we have to change that narrative and we need to just begin to have these conversations with people in a real space where we're just talking about Jesus, where we are going out into the world. And as we do that, we're just talking about life and talk about the way that we've seen Jesus interact with us and what he's done and the ways that he showed up and how he has spent time and time again, just been changing us because there's something about changing that narrative. Because when, when, when you say the word Christian in most spaces, what comes to mind? Like, just think about that, right? Like angry, hateful, you know, doesn't like this person, doesn't like judgmental is a big one that comes up, right? I mean, we, we hear that. 
And some of that, yeah, maybe that's persecution, but some of that is just the fact that we've given the wrong people the bullhorn for too long, and we need, to ch- we need to begin to change that narrative. And so part of that is when you show up, this is a really great story. Um, I have a neighbor right down the street. He's an older gentleman, and he goes to a different church, and he's involved somehow in the, uh, in the, um, like the borough council stuff. And so a few days ago, uh, Mayor was out doing something, and he stopped by. He was telling Mayor the story. He goes, I've heard about your church. At, uh, I was talking to the, to, to the mayor, and she's like, oh, what, what did he say? He said, yeah. He said, I don't know about a lot of the churches in Lansdale, but there is one church I know. They really love people well, and they're really trying to do that. And, and I just, when I met with the mayor, I just shared stories about you all, like what you're doing. And it was so cool because that began to change his narrative. Like when he thinks of church, right, he may have thought this direction. And now all of a sudden, it's kind of messing with his brain. And he's thinking in a completely different place. And that, my friends, is one of the big obstacles that people have is because they put Jesus and the church kind of like together in this really weird mix. So like the church hates me, so Jesus must hate me. We need to begin to separate that and change narratives. All right. The other thing too, we need to be people that, that have this whimsical excitement about watching Jesus love other people. Uh, Lindsay led a group this past summer uh, on Bob Goff's book, uh, Love Does. And if you haven't read it, read it. If you have a longing and a passion to love people well and to see them come to meet Jesus, read that book. Um, but what I appreciate is that instead, instead of calling out the things wrong with them, Bob calls out the things that he longs to see in them, the things that God sees in people. And that just begins to transform people. Okay, so here are some missionary mantras. Like we've, we've, you guys have heard this before. If you've been at Renew uh, for at least six months, you've, you've heard us use this statement. We want to be a community who are missionaries cleverly disguised as we fill in the blank. The basics, whatever you do, you are a missionary cleverly disguised as that. So here are some mantras. Keep calm and farm on. Jesus talks about the gospel all the time in farming, t- in farming terms. We plant seeds. And that's what we do. We plant seeds. It's natural. It's listening. It's cultivating. It's building trust. Uh, we don't invite people to church, but we, we don't bring people to church, but we bring church to people. And so we just plant seeds. We talk about Jesus. We pray. We do things that are just under the surface and beautiful. We wait for the Holy Spirit's work to show up in someone's life. We build bridges of trust that will hold the weight of truth. My friends, this is long haul stuff. If we want to join with Jesus on mission, we recognize that it takes time. The other big obstacle for us or the big invitation for us in this, in this mantra is that we need to allow folks to know us too. I'm not just here to help fix your problem. I'm not just here to get you back into managed life. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to spend time. I'm here to, I'm in this for the long haul and you need to know me too. We need to resist this idea of fixing uh, and we need to make sure that we are listening first, paying attention. Um, and the good news is, is there's a lot of people in this, in this community that do this really well, uh, really well. Ange, Dennis, Jenny, um, so many people in this community are doing this very well. Uh, we want to, next mantra, we want to cultivate a holy curiosity for potential redemption. And I think that begins in one space. And that, that, it, that we are people that are, that are soaked and soaking our friends in prayer. Um, the, the Lansdale House, the other Lansdale House Church, as I should say, 
we have two house churches in Lansdale. They have adopted a practice where they, they wrote down 30, I guess you have 30 names. Is that right, Dave? They have 30 names. And one of the practices Dave was sharing me that, that he's doing is every day he prays the Lord's prayer for one of those names for 30 days. Like I just, what a beautiful practice of recognizing that I'm placing this person before Jesus in the morning. I'm asking Jesus to show up and to radically change this person's life and this person's heart and who this person is. And I'm asking him to heal them. I'm asking the Lord to just pour out his blessing. But we have to cultivate this holy curiosity. Even asking the question, when we come across a real hard person or someone that we've loved for so long, and we feel like there's nothing that has happened, how might God want to redeem this person? And get creative, dream, pray, think through what that could look like. And I think one of the things that helps us to cultivate a good, holy curiosity is we need to learn to ask good questions. Um, me and a friend of mine started this thing called the public house a few months ago, and it's fun. We hang out with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. and We ask them questions about God and it's pretty nuts. But what I love about it is it is this beautiful third space. It's a safe space where, where, where guys are sitting around talking and they're beginning to recognize like what, who God is and what he might be up to. We're talking about misconceptions, but just learning how to ask good questions. Uh, Michael Smith and JR wrote a great book called Questions, I believe. <laughs> uh, if you're looking for a copy, maybe you guys can hook them up. <laughs> um, but learning to ask questions is really important. And I think the last thing, just as I'm thinking about some mantras, is we need to, look, we need to be, be people looking for the on-ramps for the gospel. And so a lot of that is us learning to just tell, tell people the story of what Jesus has done for us. Reminds me of something um, that I heard, you know, another kind of good thing to sort of jump into is, hey, that whatever someone's going through, that reminds me of something that I heard Jesus say or something I heard in church the other day. Um, a friend of mine, Jason, is just nat. He's a natural at this. Like I, I can hang out with him and I just take notes because he's so natural in the way he's able to engage people in conversation. And it never feels threatening. It never feels dangerous. It always just feels like there's this honoring space of just asking questions and just getting to know someone. It's been interesting. Um, you know, a lot of you know my, my deep, deep love for hockey. Although I never watch the game, I play it, I ref it. It's like, it's, it, it just, there's something really important about that to me. But that's my, I tell people that's my other church. Um, the attendance is really, the, the attendance is super steady. They're there every week, uh, every time there's a game and someone always brings communion bread, I mean beer or communion bread. Um, and there's always just this incredible conversation that happens in the locker room. But the, the Holy Spirit's doing some really cool things right now. Um, in the last four weeks, this is going to sound different, but um, I've heard four, uh, four guys that I play hockey with afterwards, just having conversations, four of them mentioned anxiety being this huge reality in their life. And so that's an on-ramp, right? Jesus deals in anxiety. Like he frees people from anxiety. And all of a sudden it's like this beautiful on-ramp has just come out of nowhere because you just show up. And it's been great because we've talked about everything from medical marijuana to um, meditation to uh, Jesus in um, Matthew chapter 11, talking about his, his yoke being light and his burden being easy, but it's finding those on-ramps. 
Like, where might Jesus meet someone in that space? And like my dream for these guys is that in a few years, uh, you know, they're sitting probably in the back, uh, maybe smelling a little different because they are hockey players and play a lot more than I do. But that they've come to know the Lord. Because I really think that outside of that, there's nothing, there's nothing. We can have great Bible studies. We can have great houses and all these things. But if we're not doing that because we long to see people meet the Jesus who has radically shifted and changed our life. If we don't have a vision that someone dressed in drag can come to meet the Lord. If we don't have a vision that someone who has been so broken and cast aside can come and meet Jesus. Then I don't think we should do this. I don't think Jesus would have sent his, these 12 guys into a world if he didn't believe that the world changing message of his of God's love for them was actually real. And I love that all of us are part of that story. We've all been invited into that. And so we get opportunities to practice this as a church. And yeah, we've, we've been doing a lot of homework recently. And uh, a few of you have complained to me saying, you know, you're giving me too much homework. So I'll try not to do too much homework, but I want to encourage us to continue to read to read the book of Acts. Some of you, I haven't finished it yet, just so you know. I just want to be honest, like I'm in chapter 18. I've been reading like one or two a day and it's just been radically shifting my brain and I have to go back. But if you haven't, anyone else not finished it yet? All right, good. You're like, okay, if the pastor didn't, we're okay. Um, (laughs) But to continue that, here's another thing I would like for us to write down. Um, And we're going to have an opportunity to to practice some of this stuff later, but um, Write down that, that person or that name that just continues to pop in your mind. Like, man, I, I just, I sense the spirits like calling me to pray for this person, to be with this person, to see this person come to, to know Jesus. Uh, my sense is we get lazy in our prayer. I, I'm going to confess, I get lazy in my prayer. If I don't see something happen within a few days, I'm like, I should probably just move on. But what would it look like? To, there's, this, there's this amazing passage in Acts. It says, in the church went into a, a season of deep intercession they're praying for Peter to get out of jail. But what if Renew is known as a church that went into deep intercession over the people that we long to, who are not yet followers of Jesus? That gets me excited. I'm not going to lie. And I need to grow in that. And I think we need to grow in that as a community. And the last thing is this. I want to challenge you to have a conversation with someone. Uh, it doesn't have to be a stranger, someone you know. Uh, and just talk about what you sense God, you know, just ask some questions and listen. Doesn't have to be, this is the only parameter. Someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus, have a conversation with us over a phone, not over text message. No, definitely not text. Over phone or in person in the next, in the next two weeks. Just have a conversation. Ask how they're doing and just see if there's any spaces where you sense God might be at work. That's it. Real simple. Are you guys okay with that? <laughs> some of you are like, no, absolutely not. All right. Uh, we're going to respond in a time of worship. And so uh, I just want to ask that you would stand with me Um, let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you for sending out 12. Thank you for sending us out. Lord, I I ask that you would give us this sense of boldness to realize that the weight of all of this doesn't fall on our shoulders, but this is stuff that we are empowered to do. Uh, We were born to do when we were born into the kingdom. We're born into this beautiful calling to, to see, to share our story, to share Jesus with others. So may you help us in this journey as a people. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. 
This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.